Welcome to the Future of Dermatology podcast. The next episodes are excerpts from a residency panel that we did last year with doctors Kathy Fields, Greg Morganroth, David Murat, and Jason Hawks. And we asked them various questions about the field of dermatology, their journey, and any advice that they might have. We divided these up into four sections so that each one can be focused on a specific topic. The first episode will be on um, what we call the love and hate parts in the field of dermatology. And we asked all speakers to provide valuable insight into being a dermatologist and what they love and hate about the field. The second part is about their journey and the drive uh, into what led them to where they are now in each of their careers. The third portion is on the financial considerations and negotiating salaries, an important one, especially for earlier career physicians. The fourth one is on prioritizing and balancing a, a fulfilling life, which is arguably maybe the most important portion to listen to. So thank you for joining us. Uh, if everyone's okay, moving to the next question. Um, and this is how do you guys prioritize what's important to you given your busy careers? Do you outsource chores, et cetera, in order to spend more time with family? So just it's hit, it's exactly that point. Um, how do you guys manage it all to to have that personal life as well? Yeah, I want to I'll, I'll dovetail off this on Greg's last comment. Um, my dad said this. He was a, a contract lawyer uh, that worked in actually the medical malpractice space, which was really interesting uh, growing up with both patients and physicians uh, sort of in the house and seeing these cases. But uh, he said uh, later to me, uh, in my training, he said, you know, you'll probably never look back in your life and wish you had worked more. And I think that's that's one of the things that uh, is helpful when you're thinking about your position, because when we're talking about sort of sustainability, um, one one of the pieces that's been a battle with the contracts is you look at number of days working, but that almost never captures the number of days you're working. So, you know, uh, four days of work um, never stays at four days of work. There's all this spillover and callback and phone calls. And so I, I think, one, you have to be really reasonable about your bandwidth in terms of the clinical. Uh, I, I've found that, you know, for me personally, working five days a week, seeing patients all day, every day would kill me. And that's me. I just, I'm not that person. I need that downtime. I need to think, I need to read, I need to participate in, you know, conferences and write papers that, uh, and you can't do that with clinical time. You just can't, not if you're booked wall to wall from eight to five. So, so one, you need, you need to know what your very beginning, you need to know what are the values that you have. If you really don't want to be a part of resident education or medical student education, that's fine. Not everybody has to do that. And then university system, for example, may not be, you know, a good fit for you because you're going to have all those other obligations. So I, I think you really kind of need to know what it is that you really want to do. If you just want to see patients, um, then you have a lot of options. But if, if you want to, you know, run a clinical trials unit or be involved in you know, pinch top research, those types of things, then you have to know those up front and you have to sort of have some 
flexibility in your schedule to potentially do those activities. And so, you know, I, there is this kind of uh, weird dichotomy of I've got all this debt and I'm out of training and I need to make money and, you know, get a job. And that really sort of neglects the values that you might need outside of your work. Uh, I think, you know, women have a particularly uh, challenging role in sort of navigating their life and their job with, you know, having children and a family. And, and that, that portrays to, or it continues over to men as well. But, but I think you have to sort of have this clarity on some of the things that are important to you before you go into that position. And you have to sort of communicate some of those. And, and I would just say to the, those of you thinking about like what that practicing looks like, that I actually think it's okay to say, I'm going to start a little bit slower to just kind of see where I'm at, see what my production looks like. That's okay. I, and, and I think that if there's pressure to come in running at full speed, right out of training that, um, we know from publications that's contributing to burnout right away. And, and I think you just have to one really define out what it is that's important, have those conversations, and you actually have to find ways to create boundaries and protections around some of those values. Uh, and I think it's okay to not have a crazy schedule all week. I think that, that, that is an old, old time thought that is what a lot of people did 20 years ago. But I, I don't think that's the, those are not the values of the, of the current generations and that's okay. Generations change. So just, just have those conversations with your partners, with your families, with your mentors. Um, and, you know, think about what that schedule might look like for you and how you're going to build in protections around those values up front rather than trying to do it sort of after the fact. So I agree with everything that Jason said. The only commentary I have is if you want to live in Santa Monica or Beverly Hills or Palo Alto or Atherton or Hillsboro or San Mateo, um, you know, it does cost a lot of money to live in those places. And I think that um, you have to uh, weigh that uh, if, if you're a single income family, dual income family, uh, it, it, I have seen, and this is not just dermatologists in my community, uh, Kathy may have seen this as well, and some of the, some of you on, on the committee, uh, but there's a lot of young physicians that did not put the effort in, and they don't, they don't end up staying in the community because they, they can't afford to. It's not they can't afford to live here, it's just that we all have expectations of the type of house you want to live in, and maybe the type of vacations you want to go on. So I've always encouraged my people I've influenced on to really, you know, work really hard while you still can as a doctor, while you're young, um, maybe before you have a family, get a little nest egg there so that you can provide, you know, for yourself and your family for the expectation of lifestyle. And then you can always back off. I mean, that, that's sort of what I did. But I think to I have someone, you know, especially if you have debt, move to Palo Alto, which is a very, very desirable area for uh, for someone to move to. It's just expensive, and I, I don't know, Robin. Do you find that there's a disconnect in housing costs and what people expect to make? This is something, and this is not just dermatology, right? You're you're recruiting all different specialties, right? I have one foundational point: pay attention to your significant other. We are working hard. 
and you know, wonderful when you have great pride in your practice and you really enjoy your patients. That's a great privilege, and I have that. But you have to nurture your kids and your spouse and take care of them. And what happens is often, sadly, is there's divorce and issues. And so we're human too. And so uh, you got to find that balance and keep your eye on the prize, the home, because that really matters in the end most of all. 100%. The other thing I want to mention, because there's things that pop into my head, um, a lot of them, including my fellows, they, they want to have these sort of uh, boutique cosmetic practices where they're doing Botox and fillers and they're doing social media. Again, not something that I need to do, nor have I chosen to do it. But I want you to know something that's really true because I have a someone who's trying to join CSI right now. They're very famous. They're in Kathy's in my age group, uh, multi-state practice, just the individual they travel to the high-end the cities, uh, all these practices, their overhead is over 70%. So I just want you to know that this sort of venture to being this high-end, fancy cosmetic provider, whether you're a man or a woman, um, is a very hard business, very low profit margin, a lot of work, a lot of hand-holding. I just want you to know, from my perspective, someone that's seen it all, the best practice is what uh, most of us do, which is a combination of medical, surgical, and a little bit of cosmetic. You wouldn't throw all your money into one stock. So you should invest your career into the different buckets that dermatology has to represent, and it will give you long-term secur security and give you more options. I just want to make that point because there's a big push to be, to emulate those cosmetic practices. And from a financial perspective, I can't even, they can't, I can't even, they can't even join me. It's not even, I can't pay them what I would pay everyone else. So just keep that in mind that there's, there's a lot of inside information about the different business models that uh, you would not be privy to as a young doctor, but you have to get educated. Do you have, Kathy, do you agree on that? Yeah, uh, I have a lot of lasers and uh, they cost a lot of money. Uh, a single tip wholesale uh, for my Fraxel is $600. <laughs> what do you have to charge? You know, how many people on a tip? I mean, so... Uh, these are, they're very expensive. That's why transparency, back to the point of opening up the books, this is how it works. This is what a percentage means. This is what an average day can really create for you in a cosmetic practice. Makes sense. And someone will say, well, why don't you have all these different fillers? And I go, well, they force us into volume buying. So I get, you know, I, I, can, I can shoot anything, anything and make it beautiful. That's the art of dermatology. But I'm not going to go shooting in, name a product that's 600 uh, per unit vial when I can get the same result on something that's 250 or 300 per unit vial. So that's that's the education. That's our, you know, as the, the people on this side is to bring you up to speed to understand. When I was in a group, I didn't understand my value. I really thought, you know, when I saw the numbers coming that I was putting out, that those were coming back in. And I saw it reconciled years ago. And and I, I just didn't understand overhead. But once you're up to speed and you can understand that, you can make it work for you. So there is there is a way to get through it. Uh, again, I'm a real big fan of uh, getting off all insurance. So if you have the courage to do that, you're, you're young people, you have to start with a group first to gain that respect and confidence with time. 
Um, but once you get that, so that's a five-year more or less curve. But once you have established yourself as that credible expert in, name it, uh, people will want to see you. I'm not a, a social media guru. Uh, ironically, I, I stay off it. I don't need the added attention. Um, but always remember your integrity, please. Uh, you represent all of us. And so singing and dancing on, on a YouTube video is kind of stupid. So um, do not uh, bring your full integrity. You are the white coat. You are the respect that we need. And one other thing that I do, um, I do not have physician extenders. Why would you come to me and pay 2000 3000 4000 for a procedure and have the nurse do it? Um, wow. <laughs> I, and I'm there working on the acne. It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. I am, I am the expert and you're coming to see me. Therefore, I can charge what is fair for that procedure and the cost of the tip, et cetera. Uh, so other, those are just a few more little tips about private practice and, and goals maybe you should consider. Follow up to your comment. Uh, there's no question that private practice is the greatest flexibility. You can just cancel your schedule the next day and reschedule them for another day. Uh, I mean, but, but if someone's paying $500,000 a year for your first year, uh, they're going to expect you to see a certain number of patients generate a certain amount of revenue, and they're not going to want you to take any time off without making it up. So as I mentioned before, there's always a price to pay for those numbers that seem too good to be true. Yeah, I, I wanted to add one very short comment on, um, so I think a lot of this conversation, we've, we've talked about important things, the, the, all these variables that yes, they're every, everything has a trade-off that that's, that's the point. And there are strings attached to certain things. Um, but I think one, one other point I would say that why well, we haven't really talked about is, uh, you know, sort of the types of patients you take care of, um, one of the thing I would push as something you should have built into whatever job in whatever setting is that you actually make a legitimate conscious effort to take care of patients who really have no insurance or underinsured or have very low incomes. It's amazing to me how many patients I've seen that no dermatologist would see them because they had bad insurances or they're underinsured or they weren't willing to pay cash. And and I think to, you know, just to not lose that connection with that value because those patients take extra work. There's no doubt. I mean, I'll be giving a lecture on this in, in April about how we provide care to inflammatory skin disease patients who are underinsured or, or uninsured. And and I think that's a really important service that we provide to the community is to make an effort to really help people. And there are people who it's amazing when you get into the finances of what they make, you know, every month and how a small medication can be very expensive. It is a lot of work to help them get on to, you know, patient assistance programs, for example, some of the biologics, but you can change their lives and to not like lose that humanistic perspective that yes, this is a business and you're making a business deal, but you can not lose the fact that, you know, if you wanted to make money, you're in the wrong place. Like tech and all these other groups, they're making way more money on a per hour basis. So this isn't, we didn't come into medicine just to make money. And that's not what you should be negotiating either, but make sure you build in some of these ways to actually reach out 
to those people that really need it and to make time for those patients. Those Some of those patients, by a long shot, have been the most gratifying, satisfying interactions, even friendships that I've built, these patients I've taken care of that nobody else would take care of. But like, just don't lose that value because I think it's what makes, it's where our fibers are really created. And, and I think we need to have that built in and you need to have a practice, whether that's a university or a group or a private practice that will give you some of that flexibility to actually do that, knowing that it's not profitable. It's like, that's okay. It's okay because this patient really needs help and that's the right thing to do. And so make sure that that person you are linking up with shares that value uh, because those, those patients do need people like you that are willing to say, I know it, you can't pay for this. It's not going to work out well for us, but it doesn't matter. We're going to get you better. You're suffering. We're going to help you. Um, just don't lose sight of that value that sometimes gets lost in the, the business side of all of this. Thank you again for joining us on the Future of Dermatology podcast. Residency mentorship is always a high priority of ours, and we always look forward to our annual residency panel and a huge thanks to all the faculty members who always take part of this and impart their wisdom. Thank you again. 